From the Shumway Theater in downtown Rockford, this is the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, presented by Rockford Writers Guild. Here is your host, Connie Coons. Hi everyone, it's Connie Kuntz and you are listening to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Guilty Pleasures Podcast. Author Dan Klefstad is back with us to share the fourth chapter of his novel in progress, The Guardian. Hi Dan. Nice to be back, Connie. Nice to see you. All right, it's great to have you. Uh, Could you tell us the title of this chapter? Wolf at Fiona's Castle. What year are we in? We're in modern times, 2017, or we're going into 2018 now. I guess that works. Okay, and tell us the characters who are in this chapter. Well, obviously, we have Fiona, Mm -hmm. the uh, creature, uh, the employer of Daniel, who's there, and Wolf. This is his first full day on the job. Mm -hmm. All right, with no further ado, let's begin. Remember, this was written by an adult for adults, and this podcast is and always will be for adults. Why O negative? Why not O positive or something? I watched Daniel pour the red liquid into a crystal decanter. Something about the taste. Daniel shrugs. It's entirely aesthetic, like the crystal we use, Waterford, instead of Baccarat. My grandma had a set of Waterford. I watch as Daniel transfers the decanter to a glass tray with the same pattern, followed by a single-stemmed glass. Is she Irish? I think she was born there, but I don't really know. The last 24 hours have broken open my entire world. I met my first vampire and got my first job working for one. But Daniel's response is too much for me to absorb. You said you worked 35 years for Fiona. How come you know so little about her? He scowls. Our conversations focus on the day-to-day. What stocks are hot? Should we invest in bonds or gold? What's our supply situation? Did that new connection deliver as instructed? We don't have time for personal stuff. But you would if she stayed around instead of going out. Daniel takes a deep breath and lets it out slowly. That's her business. Our role is clear. Do your job. Don't ask questions. Collect your pay like any other job, except the money. I still can't believe the paycheck Daniel promised next Friday. He said I'd earn even more when fully operational. Indeed. With one hand, Daniel slides the tray from the counter to a wheeled table of the same height. The O-neg casts a moving shadow on the white tablecloth. Follow me. Daniel pushes the cart to her bedroom door and knocks three times. A bolt clicks, the door opens, and Fiona stands wearing a silk kimono, rose-colored with a long black bird down one side. A faint odor of death invades my nostrils. I didn't smell this when I met her last night. She steps aside as Daniel wheels the table to the center of the room. I pause at the threshold, looking at both of them for guidance, but they have their backs to me. Finally... I step in. Fiona glances in my direction as she spritzes perfume on her wrists and between her breasts. Her eyes redirect my attention to Daniel, who holds the decanter in his left hand opposite the dangling right sleeve. We fill the glass halfway. I watch as he pours. 
He gently sets down the decanter and carefully wipes the rim of the glass with a napkin. We want to avoid drips. He stuffs the napkin in his pocket. Then we leave, unless Fiona has questions or instructions. He turns to her. Anything? No. She sets down the perfume and begins combing her hair. Daniel's head bows a little before he walks toward the door. I begin to follow, then half turn. That's Lismore, isn't it? The pattern. My grandmother had a set. It belonged to her mother. Fiona looks at me and gives a slight nod. I press further. She put the decanter and stemware on a silver tray with a lace, oh, what do you call it, doily made in Ireland. She was from County Cork, near Blarney Castle. Fiona just stares at me, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. Let's go. She doesn't say much, does she? I watch Daniel count the pint bags in the refrigerator. God damn it, we're short for tomorrow. I see nine. She needs ten. Every night. He shuts the door. I need you to go out and bring back eleven bags. He scratches the order on a notepad. Take the Prius. Punch Northwestern Memorial in the GPS. Your contact is Marcos. He tears off a sheet and hands it to me. I'll call him, but I wrote his number at the bottom. Text him with the code when you arrive. What code? Berlin. That's our signal for when we're short. He takes a stuffed envelope from a drawer, opens it, and lays $100 bills on the counter. When he gets to 6000 he scoops these into another envelope, which he hands to me. Get going. What will you do? I have to sell stocks. That's a whole different level of training we'll get to next week. He points to the key rack. I grab the remote-tagged Prius and head to the garage. Oh, don't mention the silver tray again. We never use silver. silver. What about mirrors? I forget whether Fiona's room had one. I can picture lots of perfume bottles, combs, and brushes, plus an unmade bed with purple sheets that looked like silk. There was also a large painting of a castle in a gothic landscape that covered a space where the window should have been. All this foreground memory competes with an undertow of attraction and revulsion, the silk stretched over her nipples, the whiff of decaying flesh, quickly followed by a spritz of mountain flowers. My brain is stuck in a zone that gets murkier as I approach her food source. Berlin. The reply takes a few minutes. Room 404, patient Lulu Garcia. In 404, Nurse Marcos takes a blood pressure reading while a TV shows a breaking news graphic, followed by the headline, Special Counsel Charges Three Former Trump Campaign Officials. Marcos tells me to follow him. We go to a room at the end of the hall with just one patient who's comatose and hooked to an iron lung. 
Marcos lowers his voice. What's your name? Wolf. Wolf? Short for Wolford. Wolford, no last names. And you work with Daniel? Yes. Tell me something about him. Just one arm. Left. Something else. He is completely without humor. Marcos chuckles. He wasn't always that way. You want 11 pints of O negative? Yes. That'll be 8,000. Wait, it was supposed to be 6,000. The price went up. Did you tell Daniel the price went up? That's not how this works. You should never assume anything. My face gets hot. I'm sure it's bright red. My ears start ringing, but I hear a muffled voice that sounds like mine. I am not leaving without those bags. Marcos crosses his arms, biceps bulging beneath his scrubs, and I'm not letting them go for under eight. I take out a pocket knife and cross to the other side of the patient. Then I pick up the cord to the iron lung and wrap it around the blade. Eleven bags of Oneg now. Go ahead and cut it. You'll have swarms of people here in a second. Really? Have you ever been a patient? This guy will die before anyone responds, and you'll get the blame. All right, just stay cool. Marcos takes out his phone. I'll have someone meet you by your car. No. He comes here with the bags, in a cooler. Of course they're in a fucking cooler. Here? Now. I point the blade at him. You don't leave this room, and you don't make any moves I don't like. Then I point to a chair. Have a seat. Marcos and I watch as a CNA named Kathy opens a cooler and shows me the 11 bags. Hold one up so I can see the label. She glances at Marcos, but he offers nothing, so she complies. Okay, close it and set it over here. I take a deep breath. Kathy, I want you to know something. My employer understood that today's order would be six grand, but Marcos up to eight at the last minute. He didn't tell you that, did he? She looks at him again, but Marcos just glares at me. I glare back. This asshole tried to cut you out of that extra two grand. I toss her the envelope. There's six. I suggest you keep it all. Motherfucker! Marcos leaps up and hurls himself at me. An alarm sounds as both ends of the cord fall to the floor. Well done, Wolf. Daniel stacks the bags in the refrigerator. I am disappointed about Marcos, though. He's been reliable for years. He takes an ice pack out of the freezer. Here, I wince as I put it against my left cheekbone. Kathy sure was pissed. She pepper sprayed him. Daniel smiles. I already reached out to her. He opens a decanter of scotch and begins filling two glasses. She'll get us 20 bags by Monday for a reasonable price. He caps the decanter and looks at his watch. Fiona should be home by now. I am. Both of us turn to see her enter the kitchen wearing a peasant-style dress, full-length, low-cut, showing off the palest breasts I've ever seen. She stops in front of Daniel, one hand motioning toward her face, 
He bends down to inspect her, then straightens and nods. She turns and locks her eyes on mine. Come with me. Would you like me to pour you a glass? No need. Sit down. She points to a chair by the vanity, which has no mirror, before stepping behind a three-panel screen with Japanese artwork. I hear her unzip. That's quite a shiner. Marcos? Yeah. God, it's so hard to find a human you can depend on. Present company accepted. I mean, why would anyone risk a solid business relationship for $2,000? She steps out, wearing the kimono. Daniel will drive you back to Chicago. There's a park. He'll need you to dig the grave. I swallow, trying to bury a lump in my throat. When do we leave? In a few minutes, after your drink. I tilt the glass and swirl the dark liquid in my mouth before swallowing. Then I hold it up to the light. Lismore again. She sits on the edge of her bed, grabs a pillow, and squeezes it against her. I was born in Waterford. The first time, I mean. In 1767. My full name is Fiona Mairead Fitzgerald. I became what I am. 20 years after that. That painting, I point toward the wall, is Waterford Castle? She nods. My brother's descendants built it on another castle long after I left. The foundation dates back to 1500. I remember playing in those ruins when I was a child. Will you ever return? Maybe. Her hand goes up to cover a yawn. It's a hotel now. She places the pillow against the headboard. I need to sleep. I'll see you in the morning. I take my drink toward the door. Before I grab the handle, I half turn. Good night, Fiona. Good day, Wolf. And thank you. It's nice to be back. It's nice to be in Fiona's castle. Fiona's castle, right? We're in her home. Mm -hmm. We actually go into her room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very private place. She gets locked. The door's got bolts from the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And beautifully decorated. Mm. And she is beautiful herself. Yes, she is. Which makes me want to ask a question. Why is she so beautiful? Why is she so provocative? Why does she make herself so sexy? Who is right. she? Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I mean, we constantly, you know, see the way she dresses, mm-hmm. you know, she exposes just enough to, to you know, to turn on mm-hmm. a, a man. Um, you know, even in The Caretaker, when we meet her, uh, not only is she wearing a low-cut gown, but it's got a long slit up mm-hmm. the, the side. Um, and the answer is so simple. I mean, it's, it's she controls the space around her and the people around her by making them fall in love with her mm-hmm. or just fill them with desire for mm-hmm. her. And we never really hear 
Daniel's thoughts so far in this first, the first four stories, but it's so clear that initially he's attracted to her, physically attracted to her, but his loyalty to her is built on that partly. That's the entree which gets him to be loyal to her. And she knows that. She knows how to use her sexuality. And, uh, and there's a real power in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I can manipulate you into desiring me so you will work for me. And yes, I'm going to give you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But the money can't be everything. No, about that money. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money in this novel. There's a lot of money in these stories. You're right. Mm-hmm. And we get a real sense of financial urgency mm-hmm. with stocks and bonds and gold and Daniel working his financial prowess. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the financial urgency in this scene? Yes. So uh, we have a case where um, they're short mm-hmm. of blood. They need, you know, she needs 10 pints and they realize, oh, well, there are only nine pint bags in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. We got an issue here. And so Daniel's constantly moving money around. He's, you know, he's, he's making bets, if you will. Uh, uh, he's constantly, you know, doing research on companies, trying to figure out how they can make money. Where is our money best uh, invested now? Mm-hmm. And then, well, we have this crash situation where he needs to spend $6,000 that he didn't expect tonight. $6,000 is a lot of money. So, okay, I've got the cash, but I'm going to need more cash. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to move some stocks around. Yeah. So, Wolf, you go get the blood. Here's $6,000. I'm going to go sell some stocks. I feel like I'm always in a state of financial urgency. <laughs> I don't move stocks around, but I do think about money every day. Do you? Does that inform how you created the Daniel character? What does money mean to you? What's your money culture? As much as you mm-hmm. can share without... Yeah, you know, you know I, oversharing. I, I didn't um, grow up poor. Mm-hmm. I always had money around me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never, you know, we were not like wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. We were upper middle class back, back when that existed mm-hmm. <laughs> in the 80s. Um, but um, I know people, um, and my wife is one of them, who grew up with very little. Mm-hmm. And money is an urgent concern. She's constantly thinking about how can I be secure? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this got me thinking. I, I, I borrowed that urgency, um, but paired it with this need for blood, this constant need for blood that Fiona has. Mm-hmm. And I tie that with the money. I mean, you, you, you get that's a, it's, a, it's expensive buying black market pints of blood. Yes. And she likes O negative. So <laughs> this is going to cost a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And she's got a network. You know, Daniel has organized this network of people at hospitals who will get it for, you know, on short notice. But you pay a lot for that, mm-hmm. and so that's this, this 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 almost obsession. There's almost an underlying obsession with, okay, 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 we need the blood. How are we going to get the money for this? Okay, I need to go make a good bet on the stock market, mm-hmm. and we never get into the details of that. But he's constantly trading. He's constantly, and we can see that in another story that I'm working on a little bit later on. But. Um, the, the investments are just a way to, you know, moving around that money, trying to, you know, mm-hmm. s- score, sell, you know, sell high, buy mm-hmm. low, mm-hmm. And so that Fiona gets her, her, um, her blood and I, get a, and I get my salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it adds remarkable tension when this layer adds remarkable tension to the story because mm-hmm. I had to just assume they were all wealthy and they just had money and they needed to get blood. But adding the financial concern adds another thing to this that I really enjoyed. So oh, good. I just to point that out. And I think it makes it relatable, too. Oh, absolutely. You know, worried about money. You know? I, I obsess over it. I obsess <laughs> over a lot of things. I'll obsess over uh, a comma splice, but I'll also obsess mm-hmm. over 100 bucks. So anyway, great detail. 
Um, Fiona mm-hmm. likes her perfume. She does. She spritzes it between her breasts. She puts it on her wrists. All the while, she's stanky. Well, she's she gets yeah. She begins to decay mm-hmm. if she's not fully nourished. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind. Of, I think I don't want to say she's self conscious of it, but it interfere her ability to be attractive to other people mm-hmm. and make them be loyal to her because they desire her. Mm-hmm. That can be compromised by her physical condition if she's decaying. Mm-hmm. And so she's constantly always worried about that. And yeah, if you get close enough to her and she hasn't eaten yet, <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a bit of that. Uh, you know, putrefaction, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, that's going on, which has a, like, um, I'm going to go, uh, what, what may sound like a tangent here. Go for it. But it's related to exactly what we're talking about. The way to get there to understanding this, I think, is um, if you're a, a person who loves food, if you're a foodie, you may have noticed that some of the best tasting foods are the ones that are um, a little funky. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're talking about cheese or whether you're talking about certain dishes like kimchi mm-hmm. or you know, or whatever, certain soups. Uh, there's a slight funkiness going on about that, and you, you, it, it's you're eating this, and it tastes great, but your nostrils, your olfactory nerves are telling you something a little different. Mm-hmm. And so, for Wolf. Certainly, we we see this. There's like this undertow of attraction and revulsion. I think I use that line, or he uses that line. Yes, and I think there's a little bit of that going on. He's he desires her, mm-hmm. and then there's this kind of weird, kind of funky aroma, and it's not turning him off. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's turning him on, but there's like it starts a big conversation in his head. Yeah, it's an artistic experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a delightful meal should be. Mm-hmm. And this reminds me, there is a sushi experience where there's a model and he or she is nude and the sushi is laid out on the model (laughs) and you gather around and you eat your food off this model. I've never heard of that. Well, does it not sound wonderful? Come on. I suppose. Well, yeah. <laughs> my, uh, my husband thinks it's weird. Uh, well, yeah, because I mean, uh, you know, I mean, how, where are they, are they strategically placing? They are strategically these placed <laughs> on the body. Really? And it's a young, attractive body. Okay. And well, that I'm makes sure. it a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, In my it, case, it would be a female, but okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, well, I wouldn't care either way. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get turned on, I'm going to get. An experience. So your your uh, artistic, creative juices are kind of right. flowing. Right, and food in is yeah, yeah. in and of itself very weird. Mm-hmm. And Fiona is in and of herself a little, you know, a little weird. Certainly a little off. She's a little off, but mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Decaying, but voluptuous. Yes. So I want to go to this experience, the sushi experience, where there is somebody laid out in front of me and has fish all over him or her, and I want to eat the fish. And I want to experience that because that, to me, is... The embodiment of an artistic eating experience. Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. It was not. It was a, an unexpected way, yes. but uh, an unexpected example. But yes, you 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 got there. You understand what I, what I was trying to accomplish with with that. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. And by the way, I don't even like fish. Gross. But <laughs> I would I would like to experience this. I would like to experience vampires. You know, I would like to experience all of this weird stuff. Mm. And it's not because I have bloodlust or anything like that. I just want to know. Why? They are fascinating creatures, yes, aren't they? Yes. I mean, they live forever right. unless something catastrophic happens. And they have confidence. And they have this enormous amount of confidence because they are extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we, you know, why we humans dream them up and and, mm-hmm. and 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 create stories about them. I mean, my God, how many stories have been written about vampires and 
You know, there are variations, of course, but mm-hmm. most of them have vampires as sexy creatures mm-hmm. or at least erotic mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, have these qualities that we desire, you know, immortality, extreme strength and mm-hmm. uh, the ability to go turn invisible or, mm-hmm. or turn into a whatever. You know? And a fabulous smile. And a fabulous smile. because mm-hmm. yeah. And how many billions of dollars are pumped into the smile industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't we all want a better smile? Right. Just something I was thinking about. Hmm. All right. Tell us about your castle. The one I want in the future or the one I live in now? I want to hear about the one you live in now. Okay. And then I want to hear what you want. Mm-hmm. I live in a an 1890 Victorian uh, built by a guy named Clinton Rosette. They actually named a school after him, a middle school after him in DeKalb. Okay. Uh, he was a, an early newspaper editor. And uh, uh, he's credited with being one of the people who brought convinced Illinois to locate NIU, or the school that became NIU, Mm -hmm. uh, into Calp. And so I live in his house. Mm -hmm. He built it. Uh, That's good juju. It is. Mm -hmm. It is. So he's a newspaper editor, Mm -hmm. so he's obviously a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, um, I don't know, I feel feel a a really positive creative energy Mm -hmm. in that house. Why would you ever want to leave? Why would I ever want to leave? You're right. You're right. Now, because it's an 1890 house, it, um, you know, <laughs> there will be expenses. Yes. Um, you know, we did some foundation work not too long ago okay. on the southwest corner of the house. Um, so, yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, that's some serious coin. Yeah. So you, when you move into a house like that, yes. be prepared. We live in a house like that. Mm. It doesn't have as much good juju, to be honest. <laughs> and it's falling apart around us. But I love it. Oh, see, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, well, a little bit. But do you want? Do you see yourself in a shiny new house built, you know, in this millennium? Or it's so tempting to quote Dracula from the the play or the movie version. You know, I am a, I come from a very old family or an old race. To live in a new house would be impossible for me. Oh wow! And I, and I feel that way a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I I just love being in an older house. I don't mm-hmm. want the cookie cutter modern day condo or house. I mean, you know, that's that's nice. Mm-hmm. For, for if you know, if you, if you if if A fits your budget and you could raise kids there and everything's great mm-hmm. if they take pets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I I do love a character home. Do you have pets? Uh we had we blended a family of cats. Uh we <laughs> there were four. Uh and and now there are none. Oh, so. I I see. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. And we don't have plans to get any new cats for a while. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Susan, I think, could probably benefit. My wife could probably benefit from a puppy, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll see. All right, what would you like to tell us about your other castle up north? Oh, okay. This is a, a very simple, small condo cookie cutter. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it's in a really beautiful location. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not on the water. I, live, I have a little place in Williams Bay mm-hmm. where I do a lot of my writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it, I think. And um, it's, it's, you know, Williams Bay is such a small, small village on Geneva Lake. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of money in Williams Bay if you get a house along the, you know, along the bayfront. But um, the rest of the town is kind of normal and mm-hmm. regular people. And, um, you know, a lot of retirees move up there. And, you know, people are just, you know ordinary people and the town doesn't have uh the town just feels real to me and just 10 minutes away we have the very commercial very 
uh, crowded uh, city of Lake Geneva, mm -hmm. which is a completely different experience yeah. from Williams Bay. So, um, you know, it's great if you're entertaining relatives who are coming in, go mm -hmm. take them to, you know, the ice cream shops and the t-shirt shops and the whatever in, in, in Lake Geneva. Great. Mm -hmm. uh, but Williams Bay is just a quiet, for the most part, uh, place. It's kind of homey. Um, it feels, I don't know. I mean, I, I love Williams Bay. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't, I don't I, I think about retiring there, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. What would you like to ask of your listeners today? How do you want, what do you want, what kind of feedback would you like? Describe your castle, the one you live in now or the one you aspire to. I love it. Listen, listeners, we really do want to hear that. What is your castle? What is the one you want to live in in the future? Yeah, we want to know that. All right. Is there anything else that you would, oh, I have another question. Yeah. Do you use cologne? On occasion, uh, yeah. I, uh, uh, my wife got me wearing polo, uh, polo black, I think it's called, uh, Ralph Lauren polo. Um, it's, uh, but I, I, I only wear it when I'm going out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. And is there anything else you'd like to ask or share or say before we wrap this up and go home to our castles? I can't believe that we've uh, recorded four mm -hmm. stories and we've done four interviews and it's just been amazing, uh, an amazing experience for me to talk about my work with you. I, I'm so I, glad. So thank you for reading me and oh, yeah. for inviting me here to, to, to talk about it. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. See you soon. See you. Wolf at Fiona's Castle originally appeared online at Dark Dossier. Guilty Pleasures was made possible by Rockford Writers Guild, the Shumway, Rockford Area Arts Council, Freeman AV, and you, our listeners. Remember to let us know what you think of Guilty Pleasures by rating us on iTunes, emailing editor at rockfordwritersguild.org, or joining us on social media. Find us on Facebook under Rockford Writers Guild. We are on Twitter and Instagram, at Guilty Pleasures. This is your producer, Jesse Koontz. Thank you for listening. Now go write.